Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode, episode 121 of the Cup of Nurses podcast with your hosts. Thank you guys for tuning in, those that are new. Welcome to the Cup of Nurses podcast. As always, cupofnurses.com and weareforlandwarriors.com for any info on us and the latest merchandise that we're wearing here. Farland merch is out. And also, our Facebook groups are out. So come in there, interact. Everything should be updated with the link. So just click on the episode and you will see the link to everything that we're talking about. And as always, if you guys like the episode, don't forget to give us a five stars because it motivates us, ranks us high in the algorithm, and then we keep on producing this high quality content. How you doing today, Pete? I'm doing great. And shout out to you, the community. Those 1,000 plus subs got that benchmark. But today, a nursing filled episode. We're going to talk about cold blues the do's and don'ts, a little bit about the ACLS protocol, and the roles of a nurse during a cold blue. So a very informative episode for today. I think everyone should know this, especially you hear about it in school when you're coming on, sometimes you're a med surge nurse, you don't always experience these things. And especially having your first code, you, you freak out, you panic, you forget everything that you remembered so hard that you worked four years to remember. Yeah. And in that panic, you got to know what to do. So on today's episode, we're going to cover all that. And unfortunately, it's one of those things where, where you're going to get better at it as time goes on. This is the only way you're going, the only way you're going to learn how to do a proper cold blue just to experience it. Just because every cold blue is different, even though we have our own protocols and steps to follow, each code is completely different. And I'm sure you can vouch for, for the same, same thing. You have different set of nurses. Sometimes the protocol gets followed, sometimes it you know, goes off track and just communication is great one day. Other days it isn't. It's just one of those things where it's unpredictable and it's just learn as you go. So when it comes to code blues, I think the first thing we have to talk about is prevention. So you want to prevent the code from actually happening before getting hands on and getting all excited because you don't want your patient to go to that degree. So you're going to call your RRT before that even happens. But ultimately, you should be rounding on your patient more often and get that first physical assessment. I think that's the value of everything as a, as a nurse. And as a beginning nurse, nail your assessment, know the baseline of your patient. So when you go back in, you know that, hey, something's off and you might be using your intuition or get some orders just so that things don't proceed and go the wrong way. Exactly. And know a little bit of background too, because a lot of times labs get missed more yes. often than you would think. Something so simple, something that can be fixed in, in quite a quick manner is usually the culprit of, of these codes. I don't want to say usually, but about like, I want to say 20%. As much as, I, much as codes I've, I've run and I've, and I've done, probably like a good you know, two out of 10 have been for sure um, related to labs. So you gotta be careful just because just one lab, it could be potassium, you could be hypokalemic, hyperkalemic, and you could throw your patient into, it could throw your patient into MR rhythm, like pulses, VTAC, uh, VFib, if they have low mag, they go to torsades, other rhythms like that. And usually, usually, and unfortunately, a lot of times those result in death because it's a, it's a lot easier for us to prevent it than treat it once it's happening. Yeah, and especially when orders get missed and things like that when it comes to labs, sometimes a nurse will replace potassium, replace mag. They're never going to call and order the follow-up, and sometimes it could be missed during report. There were so many times that I'm looking at my morning labs as a day shift nurse now, and I'm not sure if night shift maybe replaced it or vice versa, and it's just like, okay, you, you wait for it, or you could be that nurse and be proactive, you know, the way I like to go about things is, is everything okay with my patient? I'm not going to maybe proceed sometimes. You know, I mean, I'm using my common sense, sense judgment. If I feel like there's, you know, PVCs, PACs, 
I noticed the mag was 1.7 before. I'm going to maybe do some interventions and get a lab value. And the ICU is always easier because we have like picks and central lines and A lines and just troubleshoot, you know. Right. And assess your patient on acuity as well. When you come in to, to work, to your shift, and you've been doing it for, for a few years, you know which, which patients give you the sickest. You know which one's going to give you the, the hardest time, which one's the more critical, which one's the more needy one. And you can assess that. And a key thing to do is always prioritize and keep that really sick patient always in mind because patients, even when they're borderline healthy and, and ill, they could flip. And if they're really sick, especially in the ICU, they could go south any moment, anytime. Yeah, and especially with the respiratory patients, so secretions and things like that, we neglect that so much. Oral care, it's so valuable, especially in the ICU to prevent pneumonia and in all the units. So many times I saw codes just for bad oral care, mucus plugs, aspiration pneumonia, mucus plugs, like you name it, things that could have been prevented. And, you know, poor patient, now they go through the suffering, they get pneumonia, they're intubated, they get septic on top of whatever they came line that we have to treat. Now we have to treat sepsis first before, you know, underlying issue happens. Now they're needing CRT or dialysis. The list goes on. And once you get to that level, there's so much things that hit the fan. Mortality is high. So prevention, prevention, as we can't stress enough. Right. So what to, what to do when you experience a cold or you get yourself in a cold situation? The first thing, it's easier said than done, is to stay calm and assess the patient just to make sure that, especially if you're the one walking in the room and about to call the code, make sure you stay calm and actually check on the patient. Sometimes they could be sleeping. Sometimes people sleep in like a weird fashion where you, where you think, are, are they like breathing or not sure? Assess them before, yeah. you, before you press anything. Because or the monitor, you, right? Or the monitor, yeah. Does is a monitor aligned with your with your evaluation? Is there like a weird rhythm going on and a patient's acting strange? Like assess the situation before you press any buttons because once that button is pressed, the whole hospital is is, is on alert and they know that there's a code going on in that room. And you don't want to be that nurse that calls the rapid response or code blue for maybe a patient that you thought that was unconscious or that was just maybe the leads were off or whatever it is and you just freaked out and panicked. So on top of, you know, uh, what to do during a code, after you made your assessment, you're going to press the button and a team is going to come. Make sure you don't leave the room in this case. I think you should be always with the patient. We can't stress that enough. Scream if you have to. The code blue was already pressed. They know and they're going to come. Stay with the patient and do the most important thing, which is maybe lay the patient flat, prepare for CPR. If not, initiate CPR right away. Yeah, and then slap on those pads, get them with those monitor if, if they're not. Because in a cold situation, the first thing you're going to basically assess besides the patient is, is a rhythm. Is it a shockable rhythm? Is it a non-shockable rhythm? So if you throw the pads on, on a monitor, you're doing CPR and you're reading the rhythm, and it's, let's say it's, it's V-fib, ventricular fibrillation, or pulses, ventricular tachycardia, those are shockable rhythms. So you're going to want to make sure the defib's on versus your, your non-shockable rhythm, which is your asystole or PEA. And those are going to focus more on CPR and epinephrine, not so much the shocking aspect. Yeah. And I also noticed not all codes are the same. Some hospitals, they go into the AED mode where the monitor says, analyzing heart rhythm, stand back, you know, and sometimes they'll tell you an advice to analyze or give the shock. Mm -hmm. Some places, the intensivist or whoever is a doctor that comes in for the code is going to be calling the shots. They see the monitor and they're going to assess the patient, whether it's, you know, uh, shockable rhythms like VTAC and 
and go from there. Yeah. So if in a cold situation, if the rhythm is a shock rhythm, you know, you would start CPR, do CPR, check the rhythm. You obviously have the monitor on and the pads on. Then once it's a shock rhythm, you would go ahead and shock between like 120 and 360 joules. If it's the V-fib or a pulse is VTEC. Then once you shock them, evaluate the rhythm. If still nothing, nothing comes back, keep doing CPR two minutes. And then once again, evaluate the rhythm, shock them if it's a shock rhythm. And then you're also going to be administering epinephrine every three to five minutes in between those shocks and those pulse checks. Yes, and make sure while this is all happening, there's somebody that's finding out the IV access. Usually the primary nurse that had the patient should be letting everybody know in the room what IV access they have. Uh, we're going we're gonna get into roles in a second, but if they don't have an IV access, there has, there has to be two people on there. Sometimes you might even go the IO route. Um, not all hospitals do this, but actually had the experience to put in several IOs. Right. And if you're going to go the other route, which is the non-shock rhythms, which is your asystole and PEA, this is just going to revolve around performing CPR, proper CPR, proper breaths, and epinephrine to hopefully restart that up. So if it's, if it's a non-shock rhythm, it's a little bit easier to remember. You're just doing CPR and pushing epi. Yeah, and, and as you know, things go on and there's no improvement, you're going to go into the reversible causes, which are the H's and T's. And I think we, we did a podcast already covers all that, so we're not going to go into depth of that Yeah, pop, it in a, pop the episode in the show notes. You guys can check it out. Exactly. Yeah. So now we have what are the roles during a code blue? So the best way to do this is organization. So we figured out as things go on, it's better to assign people. Sometimes with the crash cart in hospitals, I've seen people that wear name tags. So they already have assigned roles as lead nurse or you know who's going to be the recorder and things like that, just so you could pinpoint them in the room. I think it's more important for day shift because as a night shift nurse, you know the experience. You don't have as much people in the, you know, in the room when there's a code happening. During day shift, it's literally people glued to the wall looking and it's just it's organized chaos at its best yeah. it both have their positive negatives like matt said on night shift less staff so less chaos but you really have to know what you're doing to be efficient compared to days you have a lot of support and sometimes too much support that might get in the way and you might not need to to know everything but the first role we'll just start with with the lead role the lead nurse this is the nurse that that comes in and tells every everybody what to do and it's usually the primary nurse because usually the primary nurse is the one that that finds the patient and cardiac arrest. So once nurses flood the room, she's going to assign roles. You start CPR or you help with CPR. You start getting, getting IV access. You start recording. And she's the one that's going to, to dictate when to push meds and ultimately wait till a physician comes in or somebody else that's going to take hold of the situation. Yeah. And in most hospitals, usually the RT nurse that already is assigned for that position is going to come and be the lead nurse. Mm-hmm. In some instances, I noticed okay. uh, even that the previous employees I worked and when we travel nurse, I think we saw the same thing, correct? Usually the lead nurse, we worked more in the ICU, so we didn't see that aspect mm-hmm. of the care. But usually there was always somebody in ICU that was like an RT nurse. And if there's a code, they go right away. And they're usually the ones yeah. that are in charge of running the show, aside from the doctor. Yeah. So some do's and don'ts if you're the lead nurse is you want to make your, you want to be assertive in the room. So speak clearly, make sure everybody knows that, hey, you're running this code right now. Uh, like I said, speak loudly. And then you also, if you are also a primary nurse and a physician comes in, you're going to be the one that's going to answer, answer the question. So make yourself available. Yes. So if a physician walks in and somebody else, else takes over, then you could step out and inform everybody what happened, what's going on, because 
you're going to be the best resource in figuring out what happened to the patient. And you you make a very good point. Even though there's a lead nurse assigned, be the leader if this is your patient. Just like you say, speak up, open up, be available, let people know what's going on because you're going to have the best value and opinion on what's going to happen because you just were with the patient three, four hours and saw the decline or maybe you could hint them that, hey, maybe it's the low mag because the mag was 1.3 and I don't know if anybody replaced Mm it. So now you're showing your honesty we could troubleshoot labs already there. We're getting labs to freaking run stat and we could figure out and reverse the, you know, cause of this code blue. Right. And don't try multitask and don't leave the room. Yes. At this point, you're probably already a few minutes in before, you know, the physician walks in. You have enough support. You could dictate somebody else to take over and you just help figure out what happened. The next role that's going to be very important is the IV access and medication. Sometimes that could be the nurse that comes in. That's the RTL in the ICU. I feel like everybody hops on the IV access. That's like the best thing to do. And it's fun sometimes, to be honest. So you're going to make sure there is an access. Just like I said, if, you know, there's two nurses starting an IV, you can't get anything. You go for the IO route, which is intraosseous. You're going to drill in the ankle and into the shoulder, flush it and establish a socket where you could flush med- medication through the bone marrow. Um, and, and have the crash card available to you as that nurse or have somebody handing you things. Make sure you always have flushes open. That's another big thing. And sometimes during this chaos, not everything is pretty. Assess where the lines are going because sometimes there's propofol running. As, as the IV access nurse, think about what's running. Maybe shut that off. Tell them to what, you know, maybe crank up the pressers because sometimes that primary nurse is freaking out and not thinking. So take that role of what's going in and out of the patient or sometimes maybe you have to clear your your, your line, mm-hmm. unplug everything, and have a straight firm line ready to go. Yeah. Some of the do's and don'ts of IV access nurse or the medication nurse is if you don't get the line on your first attempt, just keep trying. Like this is an emergency situation, just keep trying. Don't give up at, at the first <clears> attempt. <throat> but also, if you're struggling, let somebody know. There could be two nurses trying to hit an RV, or not hit an RV, RPGs. but right, right, hit the right ventricle. Uh-huh. You know, there could be two nurses. I was thinking like RV, like we just took an RV trip. That's oh, what I was sure. laughing about. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, there could be two nurses that are trying to start an IV at the same time. So that's okay. We just need the access. And also, once there is access, only one nurse should be pushing the meds. And some tips on pushing meds is always keep the vials with you just because sometimes things get lost or things don't get noted properly and you have to look back on what you gave and it's really hard to remember so it's pop them in your pockets and also if you're going to drop two meds at the same time try and keep them separated so you know which one's what like if you're going to give like atomidate and, and fentanyl keep the fentanyl always on your left hand side and atomidate on your right just so you know yeah. know what you're giving and, the, and what amount yeah and sometimes what i like to do too is just tape the vial around the saline flush yeah, because you keep That's pushing my thing yeah it's same so because you could be pushing a lot of meds because you're going to put probably be pushing the epi you're going to be pushing any of the sedation paralytic when when uh, anesthesia comes to intubate, and then you're also going to push amiodarone, you're going to be hanging meds. It's going to, it's going to be get get to a point where it might be a little overwhelming sometimes, depending on if the code draws on for long amounts of time. Yeah, and that's one thing I actually didn't mention because we're going in line here. But when it comes to the whole code blue itself, as you're doing CPR and all this is happening, we're all thinking about the airway, which is more of a respiratory therapist role. But if they're not intubated in the ICU already. You know, we're getting a glidoscope ready for the physician and Mac blade, and they're trying to go and establish airway because that's going to be higher quality. Yeah, and the breaths, if you're, if you're bagging a patient, it's like one breath every six seconds, like one breath every five to six seconds. 
and then compressions you want to go to 100 to 120 a minute with like a two inch depth yeah i just want to touch on your compressions and then going back to the um the medication and the iv access let people know when you're pushing these meds because the physician is going to tell you to push this and sometimes they get they get the meds confused so you always want to want to reiterate what they what they told you to push so 50 offend you know and I don't know, 25 of propofol or something that random, something that they, they assign you. Yeah. And then, you know, and let them know, hey, I'm pushing, I'm pushing this and how much. Just yeah. so everyone's aware. And this goes into the next role, which is you have to be verbally expressive because the recorder needs to be documenting when these medications are giving. You're intubating, you're giving 20 a time a day and five of her said, let's just say, at 9.18 p.m. So that has to be documented. And especially when it comes to the medications, you're pushing epinephrine because they're going to be asking you how often you're pushing the med. And even as a recorder, when I was younger as a nurse, I always hated having that role because I always wanted the action. I was like, oh, I don't want to be a recorder. Sometimes I, got, sometimes I got left with that task when I walked into the room. But it's a very important role. It's and, and, once, important. and once you get older and more experienced as a nurse, I genuinely like to do it sometimes. And it's also another role in leadership. And all these roles are actually leadership roles because as a nurse, that's what we're doing. You're going to want to let the physician know, hey, it's been three minutes since the epi or give updates. Sometimes the physician is going to be asking you, you know, what the time is. So one of the do's and don'ts is make sure you're watching the clock. Have it available. If you don't have a watch because you forgot it, you know how that goes sometimes. Um, make sure you have a clock visible or ask somebody because that's valuable information. Yes. And the only thing you got to remember everything, make sure you write it down. There's times where when I've been recording, I literally wrote down on, on the code paper and then I was also writing down at the same time on a whiteboard because, you know, in the rush of things, sometimes the paper falls down and you still got to record. So you're still trying to, you know, catch up and it could be a mess sometimes. So if you think you remember it, don't always write it down because uh, sometimes codes can last, last, half an hour they could last 15 minutes they could last five minutes but still the longer it draws out the more like you are to forget it yes and as a recorder you're going to be writing down vitals the heart rate you know if what was given ekgs lab values but most importantly most importantly vitals i want to stress about here you're going to be in charge of that monitor if you're in the icu make sure you go switch to things every two three minutes you're actually seeing those numbers and you're going to be able to document them i think usually when it comes to the cards it's already standards getting pushed but if you have a room with a monitor, make sure it's changed or frequency or adjust alarm sometimes because there's already so much stress going on. Take a look and silence that because no one else is probably thinking about it in the room but the person that's recording. Yeah. Yeah, because I said better myself, Matt. Let's see if there's anything. Yeah, keep it. Yeah. And, you know, know the cardiac arrest algorithm, which goes back into knowing when to tell the physician the meds are being ready to push or think of anything else. Right. The next role we have on hand is the compression master. And that's probably every dude's favorite role. I always like doing compressions. I'm sure you like doing compressions. Crack some ribs. Yeah, every, I mean, I, I don't, yeah, I don't do compressions just to crack the ribs. It's just like you do compressions and you get them back. You're just like, yeah. hell yeah, you know, you I, know you give good, good compressions. I'm, I'm talking shit, but at, yeah, at the end of the day, that's like, that's, that's what saves people's lives is the compressions yeah and that's it's it feels good just like hell yeah do i've just done like three rounds of, of of cpr sometimes it's like six rounds of cpr back to back with, with somebody else and they're just like damn we brought him back it's it just feels amazing that's why dudes like like to do cpr i feel like because they want to be like the one that fixes the situation yeah and the do's and don'ts here is clearly right dudes have ego so no one to lay off the chest if you're tired maybe it's not a full two minutes 
Who gives a shit? Switch. Because it's at the end of the day, it's the patient's lives. And I, I had so many funny epi- uh, episodes, times of doing CPR sometimes. Like I had glasses on and like I'm doing CPR and I'm running it, you know, and my glasses are slowly coming down, down, down. And then I tell somebody to yank them out because they're just like swinging like a swing when I'm just pumping, yeah. you know. It's it's fun because you're like right there all in the action and when and when crazy things happen, one one patient that I had or I was there during the code, we literally opened up his chest. He was he was a post cardiac surgery, so he had a wound vac on on his chest, so it wasn't hard to open. And we literally opened him up bedside while I was doing compressions. The physician was literally shooting epinephrine straight into the heart, and in between I was doing compressions, and that was like that was probably the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life in a hospital. Besides, like seeing an elevator being placed in a heart and a heart and a heart transplant, Jeez. but bedside is probably the coolest thing I ever seen in my life, and that was in California while traveling nursing, and that was that was such an amazing experience. Yeah, even like I've I've heard about the cardiac thump, which was like a funny thing we're laughing about. Supposedly the patients like in VTAC, and uh, you know they were getting ready to like go into the room. It was like you know COVID, so they're just kind of like trying to dress up and. The physician is like, seriously, do the cardiac thump. And he tried it. And it's like you just basically take your fist and just hit the freaking patient's chest. And in reality, it should reset the electrical pulse rhythm. Yeah, that's wild. I've never, I've never done it before. I never tried it. But there was a guy in our, where he used to work in Chicago. Um, he did it a few times. I think he did it like once or twice. Yeah, the last time a patient died on me, and this wasn't Code Blue, but it was the most recent contract, it was day shift and I got rid of my patients and it was like two o'clock. I got a report on the patient that had basically was on a balloon pump and there's not much we could do. Like he's maxed out on pressors in the sixties, but he was a partial code. And like within, within the hour, he, I looked at the monitor and it was just pulseless and I didn't know what to do, man. I, I was in a state of panic because mm-hmm. I just got a report. I wanted to read what's going on and I assessed and I'm just like, I don't know if he's dead, if I should do something. So I'm just like, you know, checking the femoral, the carotid. I'm just like, okay, it's okay. He, he, he has a DNR. But it was so hard for me to accept that because I was just like in such heat of the moment. Yeah, it's always scary because especially when it happens so quick when you just get on shift because you probably haven't even checked fully. You probably are told he's like a partial code, but you probably haven't even got a chance to look if what's partial about it. Is it yes. no CPR? No certain medications or no defibrillation. So it's very scary because your first, thing, first instinct is to, hey, we got to do CPR because the patient's coding. Yeah. That's first first thought. And that's one of those nursing moments where it's just like you have to very quickly assess the situation. And if you're not sure how to answer your question, better check the chart and then come at it. But it's got to be done quickly because shit is hitting the fan right now. Yeah. And, and I had those situations too like, geez, it's, it's already change of shift and... I'm in the break room. I'm having like a quick little snack of ice cream and somebody like walks in and opens up the door like, is this your patient? Okay. He, this rhythm is happening. So I go run into the room and I'm like, fudge, it's happening. But it was like a silly partial code thing where I was forgetting the status. I'm like, let me go find out if I could shock this person. So they're bringing the crash card and I'm trying to check. So yeah, codes, codes are an interesting thing. And like, what we can tell you guys is you're going to get better with experience. Oh, yeah. It's one of those things. It's just you get used to them. You get to know the flow of them, and you already have expectations of what's going to happen, and usual expectations are, are true. You're already going to put in certain labs. You're already going to be grabbing certain things with, with time. 
Yes. And the next role is going to be a runner. Or a helper. You don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Exactly. Or a nurse extender. Whatever the proper role is for those roles, you're going to be giving out meds, maybe running back and forth, grabbing the EKG. I almost wanted to say bladder scanner, but you don't need it in this instant <laughs> right now. Maybe when uh, you get ROSC. Yeah, maybe when you get ROSC. Maybe you got to put a Foley in. <laughs> but um, you're going you're gonna to be mostly grabbing meds. Maybe it's even talking to the family sometimes, which is another role. Uh, and make sure you're very familiar with the unit. If you get assigned that role, I feel like as a travel nurse, you get stuck sometimes mm-hmm. because you're always helping out or you're like in a sideline. Make sure you know everything because you got to override meds into PICSIS sometimes and you don't want to delay the care for the patient, especially during this time. Yeah, you're, you're the helper. You're, you're kind of the one that's going to help with little tasks that, that people need that can't leave the room. A lot of times it's calling x-ray to make sure that the tube is properly placed. It's putting in lab orders, putting in whatever orders the doctor is saying, grabbing an ultrasound, and the majority of the time it's grabbing meds, starting A-lines, just little, little things like that where you're not pulling any nurses out of the room for things. You're grabbing the, the amio that was sent for pharmacy. You're grabbing another bag of epi or you're grabbing rapid infuser, just things like that. Minute things that are very important are needed uh, at a you know ASAP. And some do's and don'ts for for this role is if you're going if you're going to get a med, let somebody know, hey, I'm going to grab amiodarone. That way you leave and they know, hey, Matt's getting amiodarone. So no one's asking, hey, is anybody grabbing amiodarone? Because no one's yes. sure of why you left. Matt just left. He wants to grab something. I don't know. Well, what's the point of that? Yeah, and also as a runner, take this leadership role where watch over the unit. There's going to be multiple nurses in that room during a code blue, and in the ICU, it's already like a given. We already do it no matter what. We always watch each other's patients. But wherever you are, just check up on your you know, other nurses, patients, the rooms. Maybe they're check their pressers, check everything's okay. Check the alarms if they have to. What, whatever the needs are of the unit, tailored to that. Yeah. Because they're busy doing their thing, and this is your role as a runner. That's a big thing you brought up, and I'm glad you brought it up. Because that's one of the things that they missed. You see like 11 nurses in a room. And it's like, hey, who's watching your other patients? And everyone's looking at themselves like, oh, shit, no one's watching other, other patients. And then, you know, just, just because you want to see a code because they're very, they're very exciting and very, you know, it, it brings up your heart rate and something you want to partake in, don't forget the other patients because you don't want to be running a code overstaffed and then you have another patient fall or another patient you know, start bleeding from start pulled out their lines or even code themselves. Yeah, and th- those are one of those tips that nurses are going to respect you for, and they're going to notice those things. Those are, those are things that maybe sometimes are unnoticed, but as a trav- traveler, that's how you develop good relationships on your unit, and then people do things for you too mm-hmm. when you help out. So as a runner, do that. Yeah. Th- also, sorry, one more thing. One more thing about do's and don'ts is also recognize when you're not really needed anymore because there's going to be a time when there's like three or four people doing tasks that have to be done and there's three or four people that are needed to do these things. But as the code moves on, things kind of get less chaotic, you could say, and you know, you're know you going to only need two. So recognize when you're, you've are you already helped enough, that way you don't just add into the chaos that's going on in the room. Yes, 100%. The next role is going to be talking to the patient's family. I think this is a very crucial role. It takes a lot of skill, communication, and high level of emotional intelligence. Because during these times, it's really hard to tell the family, explain the situation. But you have to be very honest with what's happening. Give them the realism of the family is in critical condition. This is what's happening. I always say we're doing in, initiating CPR, so we're cracking the sternum and 
pumping their heart full of blood. It also depends on how the family is. If there's somebody that was very stubborn of letting them go and they don't have realistic expectations of this code, I'm very surreal with them. Like we're breaking her ribs and things were never going to be the same, especially when it's very long down the line. You have to be very honest with them that it's been 30 minutes, let's just say, and there's nothing else we can do. And and there's and sometimes let them talk to the physician or maybe escort them in and out of the room. That's you're going, going to be doing that as well. There's times that the family wants to watch the code. Usually it's very hard for them. Maybe give them a box of tissue or just take them out and explain, calm them down, talk them over, explain them what's going to happen in the next few minutes. Give them some kind of trust and care for them during this time. Yeah, some of the do's and don'ts with speaking to the family, the main one, and I want to, and I can't stress this enough, is, is be honest. Don't give them any kind of false hope, saying that, yeah, you know, things are doing good, we're doing good compressions, and things like that where you know it's not going to end that way. You don't want to give them any, any, any kind of false hope. And also, if you're speaking to family and let's just say they're, they're in their car driving, you can hear it in their car, ask them to pull over or if, they could, if they're not far from home, they can call you back in a few minutes. Because there's, there's been one time that I heard a nurse tell me a story that some other nurse broke some news to a family while they were driving and they ended up getting into a car accident, you know, so that caused a problem. So also be a little bit, a little bit in, insightful on where they are in their environment. And also who's around, if they're on speakerphone, tell them if they could st- step away and you could just speak to them directly in those emergency situations. And honestly, also involves saying you're not, you don't know or you're not sure. And a physician is going to be able to provide you better information than myself. Because you don't want to tell them something you are not sure about. And always delegate to the physician. If you're not sure how to answer the question, the physician is, is there as well to speak to the family. So just push it on them if you're not sure. And ask for help. If you're not sure on how to talk to a family or it's your first time, maybe a nurse could walk you through it. Or maybe they could just do it for a first time and you could listen, listen in on, on how, she, how he or she does it. Very good point. And just to kind of summarize everything with these roles, if everything went well and you established ROSC, Next thing during the code blue is you're going to be maybe getting an x-ray. Maybe you're going to be putting an OG in. If you're working med surgery or other units, you're going to get the patient ready to transfer them down to the ICU. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of steps post-code, especially when you, when you get ROSC. Probably another good episode that we could probably do. Yes, definitely. And, and you know, back to this role with the speak with the family, what if the patient doesn't make it, you know? Take, be very comforting you know, give them time, let them know that they're going to be going to the uh, waiting room just so we could stabilize the patient, clean them up because they asked, you know, uh, the room has to be comfortable and welcoming to them. They don't want to see all the blood and the crazy caps and syringes everywhere. And um, that's a code of blue, ladies and gentlemen. It's a wild experience. Just think like what I just said right now, I just had like a flashback of like 10, 15 stories or my first code of blue on Christmas Eve that like the family ran in and they're, they're like crying on their freaking knees in front of the bed and security's there and I have chills right now. And I'm like, wow, yeah. nursing is wild. It's crazy because I had to withdraw care on a patient during Christmas. So it's wild that you had to go through something like that too. Yeah. And, and then the same day you sit down with your family and you eat and yeah. that's just like the ultimate gratefulness that nursing gives you. It's, it's an emotional roller coaster. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for your time. We went over the do's and don'ts of cold blues, some of the roles as a nurse in a cold blue, and also how to talk to family during or post cold blue. 
And if we missed anything, let us know. Or if you have any interesting ideas of other episodes that you would like for us, shoot a DM, shoot a message on YouTube, on Instagram, email us if you want to, info at cupofnurses.com. Thank you for your time, guys. Thank you so much. Check us on YouTube and go check out our shop. Peace. Woo.